0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.tv, University of California Television. Like what you learn, help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome to Let's Jam the Arts in Medicine. In this series, we feature artists and educators in healthcare who have made a connection between what inspires them to listen and communicate with creativity and compassion. In this session, we talked with Holly Walter Kirby and Adam Steinberg, whose methods, called story form science, can help us all learn to communicate complicated information more effectively and clearly by presenting research in the structure of a story you'll learn about their simple process and tools and ways that you can make your visuals more impactful in presentations and posters. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Holly and Adam. So as doctors and health professionals and scientists, we're tasked with communicating uh, our content and our research to audiences. And these audiences can be very diverse. They can be funders, uh, policymakers, general public, peers, uh, administrators, people within your group, administrators, teams, students. And, of course, we never communicate just for the sake of communicating. We do so to impart knowledge, build understanding, and influence the behavior of our audience. Now, these goals that I've just listed – they're related. You can't influence behavior until you build understanding and you can't build understanding until you impart knowledge. So how do we try to do this? Well, generally, the way we try to do this is that we think about our research in all its voluminous beauty, and all its complexity. And then we start to craft our talk by by this sort of philosophy that more is better. We take pieces from our research, little bits of information, and we put it on PowerPoint slides. We, we have a lot of bullet points and we have uh, graphs and we have uh, tables. So the thing is absolutely full of information. And then what we really hope happens is that our audience will then understand everything that we know so the question is of course does this work of all the talks you've heard what per how many of them have you understood from start to finish well you can answer that question for yourself but if you're like most of the people we talk to the answer to this question does it work is no not really and why not Well, for people to understand what's being said in a talk, what they actually need to do is they need to take in, receive those bits of information that the speaker is giving them, and they need to examine them, consider them, and then they need to put them together with each other and with things that they already know. And of course, This has to happen in real time. They're doing this while they're getting more pieces. And a smart audience can keep up for a while, but at some point, um, the pieces are coming, so many pieces are coming so fast that they start to feel overwhelmed and get lost. And when that happens, oftentimes they give up and they they don't pay attention anymore. And when that happens, whatever the speaker's talking about is no longer important to them neither is their research and the speaker is not very important either so if we want people if we want to impart knowledge to build understanding and influence behavior what we need to do is to get our audience to pay attention and engage to process to persevere because sometimes you've got to struggle a little bit and the things I've just written down that that are needed to build understanding are called learning. And learning is a process that takes a lot of work. So is there a method that can help an audience do this? And will it work for any audience and any discipline? And will it work for talks, posters, and visuals? Well, That's where Adam and I come in. Adam is an artist and a scientist. I'm a chemist and a playwright. We're both educators. And um, I invented the story form method, but then Adam and I have worked it and reworked it while we're teaching a course for the University of Wisconsin-Madison. The course is an eight week course. And in that course, we have students craft, first of all, a three minute naked talk which has nothing to do with what you're wearing or what you imagine the audience wearing. It's the fact that you can't have slides, then story graphic infographics, posters, and then a 10-minute talk with slides. Now, as you can probably tell from the name story form science, this is derived from story, but it is not, disclaimer, it's not about creating personal stories like like you might do in the moth or story colliders. Instead, Storyform science is particularly specially designed to get your audience to pay attention and engage. To process information, persevere and build understanding of your research, or if you're not talking about research of your science content. This this uh, method is unique, it's easy to use, and I gotta say, it's amazingly effective. So what we're gonna do in the time that we have today is I'm gonna introduce the method to you, and then I'm gonna demonstrate how it's used to create talks. And then Adam will come on and demonstrate how it's used to create visuals. And we will both at various times be showing you examples of work that is developed using this method. So my job is to start with right now is to introduce the methods. So to do that, let me tell you a story. Actually, I'm not going to tell you a story per se. I'm going to tell you about a genre of story. And this is the murder mystery. So in case you haven't seen one recently, uh, this is how they go. First of all. Somebody's dead and a person is called in to investigate this death and soon it's found out that this death was not accidental, uh, not of natural causes. So now the job is to figure out who murdered this person and the way that this will be addressed. This problem is to do an investigation. Now, a whole bunch of things can happen, but let's say, you know, that a witness comes forward or that uh, a weapon is recovered or maybe a motive is found. All of these clues, whatever happens, all comes together in the end, in the climax, where usually in some very dramatic fashion, we discover who the murderer is. And then in the end, that person gets their comeuppance. Anyone who's ever stayed up late watching a murder mystery or reading a murder mystery knows that they're quite good at getting you to pay attention and engaging, processing information, persevering and building understanding of what's going on and what what the whole thing means. Now, how do they do that? How does a murder mystery get get those things to happen? Well, let's just kind of back up and talk about story in general. Uh, A definition or a a way to think about story is that it's a journey. It's revealed a little bit at a time in a series of well-established steps. So opening, problem, episodes, and finally climax, and then conclusion. Now. You know, it's not just steps. A journey is something that someone goes on. So who goes on the journey? And the answer is the main character. I've got the investigator circled. It doesn't have to be the investigator, but it often is. So the investigator is if the main character is the person that goes and goes through all the steps of the journey, experiencing it. But they're not the only person. That experience the journey because stories are journeys of mutual discovery. The audience also experiences the story by identifying with the protagonist or the main character and stepping into their shoes. And then they go on the journey too, experiencing things that the main character does and seeing things through their eyes. Now, this is kind of a wonder. This is narrative transportation. This is kind of a wonder. But let's look at the layer that's underneath this one. And let's ask, why do they stay on the journey? If the audience joins the journey, why not bail? Why do they stay on the journey? The main reason we keep watching a story is because we want to know what's going to happen next. And how does story do that? I think that's pretty amazing. How does story do that? Well, here's the key. Stories are built around a question and questions have a a remarkable effect on the human mind. Once you hear a question, there's a space that opens up in your head. And uh, because you don't know the answer and that creates uncertainty and the uncertainty builds a tension inside of you and the tension sort of ignites a desire to learn the answer. This is, of course, called suspense. Now, in a murder mystery, the whole first part of the plot line or the journey is setting up the question. And then the question appears right around here. And what's the question in a murder mystery? What do you want to know? The answer is, of course, who done it? And when do you get the answer? Not right away. You find out who done it at the very end. But it's not like the audience just kind of waits around passively to find out the answer. While the uh, main character or the investigator is processing the clues, the audience is participating in the investigation. They're processing the clues with the investigator and predicting the answer predictions are really high cognitive function to put things together and predict what's going to happen and that's exactly what the audience does in a murder mystery and actually in any story so this design right here that you see which is set up specific question um clues and answer this is what's in all stories that sets up uncertainty, tension, and then a desire to learn that answer and to do some work, to do it quite a bit of work to figure it out. And this is why audiences pay attention and engage, process information, persevere, and build understanding a bit at a time until they get to the end of the story. This setup, this design that you see, that's so critical to getting people to pay attention. This is embodied in the steps of the journey. So the setup is there in the opening and then introducing the character and the problem. And then there's a specific question and then the clues are in those episodes that come after. And then we have the climax and then finally um, the conclusion where we see the impact of the result or the outcome on the world or the audience. Little parts of the journey are preserved, are captured in our template, and we teach people how to use this template so they can harness the power of story for their research talk. All right, so creating a research talk, I'm going to go through some of the steps, not all of them, but the first thing that we have our students do when they're going to start creating a research talk is we ask them, what's the most important? What is your most recent success in your research? Write it down. And did you encounter a setback or challenge in achieving that success? Write it down. Now, so you can kind of follow along with me. I would, I'm would. i going to give you about a minute and you can write down the answers, these answers for yourself. So hopefully you've got something written down. But mostly, I'd just like you to sort of carry in your mind what what you might be designing a talk about as we as we move through things. So the next thing we do with our students is that we acknowledge that, well, research is sort of like a puzzle, but it isn't like a puzzle in other ways. For example, way one is you don't get the lid of the box, right? You don't know what you're sp- trying to be um, uh, putting together and seeing. You've got to kind of figure that out. But the next thing uh, is even more important for right now. And that is that whereas if you get a puzzle in a box, you know that um It's it's got edges. It's 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 got a certain number of pieces in it. And research is not like that. Research. It it doesn't have a defined number of pieces. It doesn't have edges. Instead, it just goes on and on and on. Your research is built on other people's research. And other and then other people will build on your research. And then there's some holes and there'll be some redoing of pieces, even though research goes on and on. Our talks need to end. And our talks, different than research, not only need to end, they need to end with an ending. They can't just end like so many talks I've seen where um, the person just runs out of time. They need to end with an ending. So ending is right here on the template. And the first thing we're going to do is create an ending. This is going to be backwards design. We're going to create an ending. So this is where you'll be thinking about the recent success in your research. That will be your ending. And an ending will be broken up into two pieces. The first one, the first one is where your final action, the final thing you did in your success, and then the second is the outcome, what happened as a result of that final action. This ending will be the answer to the question which is up there. Now we don't have people, you you wrote a little bit about your your most recent success. Once you've kind of written down a little bit, what we ask you to do is not just write or think, we ask you to visualize your ending. And to do that, we use icons. We give give people uh, a grid that has rectangles on it, and then we have them cut it out. And then we have them draw icons on them to, um, to represent components of that final scene, that final action and results. I'm going to show you some examples of icons created by uh, Dr. Sinyu Peng. She uh, works at Dow Chemicals. She was at one time our student. So for her final action, she used a computer program that she wrote to screen you know, multitudes of chemicals to find out whether they were able to store solar energy. And the results of that was she was able to find uh, just a handful of these molecules that could store solar energy and were cheaper than batteries. That was one of the real important points. Now, why do we use icons? There's a lot of reasons, but I want to pick out the ones that I think are most compelling. First of all, using icons automatically reduces jargon and simplifies the content. This is really a battle, and I'm sure that you've had it with yourself and with the people that you work with, that medical professionals and scientists like to include a lot of jargon and scientific language. And of course, they want to include everything. Having representing key concepts or um, uh, equipment or actions with little little pictures really almost reduces that entirely. Here's another thing. Using little icons supports iteration. People don't like to revise. Once they've written something, it's very hard for them to go back in and change it. However, it's very easy to make more icons, throw icons out or move icons around on the template. And last but not least, pictures are an effective medium of communication. If you want somebody to learn about your research, you want them to have a picture in their heads, then you'll know that they really understand. But the best way to get somebody to have a picture in their head is to put a picture, that same picture in your head, and then to describe it for them. And icons are a wonderful way to do this. So the next thing to do is to write the question. And remember that question, that the thing that you just talked, we just talked about, the ending will be the answer to the question. So when you write a question, you want something that's specific and simple. Like things like, can I do that thing, which I already did? What will I see? Is my hypothesis confirmed? What Sing Yu Peng chose for her question was, can we find a way to store solar energy that is cheaper than batteries? Well, certainly her, her outcome, her action and outcome answers that question. Next thing is who's going to take this journey. Who's your main character of your research talk? And if you're the researcher, you are. Now, a lot of a lot of people have a problem with this because they say, "Oh no, no, I'm not important. I shouldn't be in this. It's not about me." They kind of act like research just happened in the room and they just happened to be walking by. But It's important to put yourself in, not just because that's honestly what happened. It's important for the audience. The audience is going to step into your shoes and follow along on this research journey. And it's important to put yourself in because you'll be their guide. And if you don't put yourself in, they have no guide and they will not be able to get as much traction in your talk in in trying to understand it there's a a, a icon for sing you. And then uh, we have people use icons to set up the question, current world, um, the problem, to address the problem, and then for the various steps to answer that question. And then we've already talked about the ending and then the better world. All of these are created with icons that they can move around now, When it comes to deliver this, it goes like this, current world, character, problem, addressing the problem, stating the question out loud. And we make a big deal about that because it makes a huge difference in a talk. And then um, going ahead and doing the step one, step two, step three, the ending, and then finally the better world. Note that when you use this design, you do not have to have a conclusion because your audience will know the conclusion. They'll be looking for it. And when you, when you present that outcome, they'll know what that means. We have people use this template and icons to create their talk, but then we also have them use it to deliver their talk to people in the class or the group. They when they give it to people, then they get feedback on their talk and not just feedback like, oh, that was good or bad. But we have a feedback rubric, which really gives them um, constructive um, comments to help them to revise. And then that's the last one revision. And then once they've revised, um, when we teach these classes, we have people deliver their talks. Everywhere to in three minute thesis talks or to outreach events in churches, um, in coffee shops, in breweries. Uh, my favorite one, and this is due to Adam, is uh, we had people that gave their talks one night, one cold evening in a corn maze. And then what happens is that the audience, no matter whether they're in the corn maze or not, or a brewery, uh, they get a little um piece of paper that asks them some questions. So then they hand that to the speaker, the speaker gets feedback, and then that speaker revises again. I have for my, for showing an example, I have Yu Peng's talk. It's only three minutes long. And what we're gonna do is we'll show you, um, you'll hear her voice, and then you'll see her icons appear and move as she gives this talk.
1: Morning, everyone. My name is Xinyue Peng. I'm a fifth-year PhD student in chemical engineering. Today, I'm going to talk about storing solar energy with chemistry. People in the world need energy, and all the energy we need in a year is delivered to the Earth by the sun in one hour. So take a guess, what percent of our electricity today is generated from solar energy? 40? 20? 10? The answer is None of the above is only 1%. Why we don't take advantage of this abundant renewable resource? Because there are many challenges of using solar. First, the sun only shines during the day, so we need to store a lot of energy for the night. Second, the sun shines more at deserts than cities like Madison, so we need to store and transport the energy from one place to another. Well, you may say we can use batteries, but they are too expensive and heavy to transport. So our question is, can we find a new way to store energy that is cheaper and lighter? As a chemical engineer, I'm working on storing solar energy in chemical bonds. We are looking for a special type of molecules. When they are exposed to sunlight, their chemical bonds are broken by absorbing energy from the sun. We can then store and transport these separate parts. When we need energy, we just let the parts go back together. When the chemical bonds are reformed, the energy is released. This reversible process can happen over and over again. Sounds great, right? But here is the complication. There are millions of chemicals that are possible to use for storage. How can we know which one is the best? So we can use computer to help us. During my PhD, I developed a computational program to screen out the best candidates from a large chemical database. For any given chemical, our tour can tell us whether this bond breaking is reversible, how strong the bond is, and most importantly, what's the storage cost. Using this screening tour, we have successfully discovered several promising chemicals that can store five times more energy than the same weight battery and at a lower price. Imagine one day in the future, all gas stations are replaced by solar stations. Instead of gas, our cars are now run on these special chemicals that harvest solar energy and do not emit CO2. On that day, we are living in a truly sustainable world. Thank you. All
0: right, I'm going to stop sharing. And I'm going to pass it over to my colleague, Adam.
2: So let me just say um, that Sing Yu's talk that you just heard right there. She is a fifth year student and that was a very polished talk. It took her three, four tries, uh, reiterations to get that. But this method also works with any talk, even if you have no data and you're a brand new student. So I just want to add that on there. I'm going to take over with visualization. And where I'm going to start with is infographic. So many people are familiar with infographic, and they've never heard what a story graphic is. So here's three infographics that I just pulled off the internet. They're usually very brightly colored. They're full of detail and facts. And anyone can go through these at your leisure and pull out information and learn something about these things different uh, topics, but there's no story there. There's no beginning. There's no middle. There's no end like Holly was talking about. And so what we've done is we've taken the infographic and changed it into a story graphic. And so I'll show you one of our students' story graphics here. So this is a medical one. And her story starts at the top up here where she talks about this lipid that can be turned into an asyl And then that can provide energy for your cells. And You'll notice that that story starts off right there with the current world. And then we have to introduce that main character who's going to lead us through this story. And so right there is Lainey. And then she's going to take us to the next step, right, which is the problem. And so those lipids can cause problems with metabolic diseases. So there's her problem. And then she's going to tell you what she's going to do with that problem and how she's going to address that. And what she needs to do is find out how they get from the bloodstream into the cells And what's transporting them there? So that's her addressing the problem. And then she's going to ask you a question here. What can, you know, what is happening here? And now Lainey has not done this research. She's a new grad student. She's just starting out. She has started with step one. That's where she's at in her research. And then she's telling you where her research is going to go with step two and with step three. And she does not have a final action yet, but she does have a better world because Once her research is done, that's where she thinks it's going to make the world better. And so that's what she's done in her story graphic. Here's another one that was done by a postdoc. And this postdoc was also brand new. He was a graduate student that turned into a postdoc. And he did not have any data for his postdoc. He had lots of data from his graduate time. But his postdoc was very different from that. And so here he has laid out a story graphic that tells you what he's going to do as a postdoc in the lab. And then here's Yu Pang's, which you just heard her three-minute thesis talk. Here is her story graphic. And I'll show you how she made this one from start to finish. So going back to her talk, her three-minute thesis talk, here it is. We need to convert this, or she needed to convert this into a story graphic. And so the way that you do this is Holly talked about the setup that leads to the problem and then the delivery that leads to the ending. And so for to create the story graphic or the visualization of the story, we break that into two parts where we have the setup and then we have the delivery. And when we're teaching students, we get them to understand what these two parts are very quickly with changing delivery to what do I do in the lab and setup is why do I do that? Right. They quickly understand that. And so for Singh Yu, her setup, to, to create a talk and to create a visualization or a story graphic from that talk, those are two slightly different things. And so these are the icons she used in her three-minute thesis. For her story graphic, she changed the story slightly. She, it was the same story, but she changed the way she was going through the story. And so here, I'll change it from that to what she used in her story graphic. And they look almost the same, but there's a, a subtle difference that you'll find when we go through this. So for her setup, which is here, she wanted to talk about that difference of solar energy hitting the planet. And she said in her three-minute thesis talk that it shines more in the desert than in places like Madison, Wisconsin, which is where she was doing her graduate work. And that's where she wanted to focus in on her story graphic. So she came up with this set of icons where that's shining more in the desert and less in Madison. And you'd need to suck it up in the desert and move it to Madison And then she created that for the visualization of that from those icons. She also wanted to talk about those chemical bonds and how they were being broken. So those are her icons for that. And then there's the visualization she came up for that. And then what she does in the lab, you heard her say she screens those chemicals with her computational programming. And so she came up with this. So... The setup and the deliveries on the left, her icons are in the center. And then over on the right is her first iteration of this story graphic. And then you heard Holly talk about present feedback and revise, which is what we make you do over and over and over again until it's right. And so sing you took this and put it in front of people in different venues that we set her up in and asked them to tell her what her story graphic said to them. And then she took their feedback and then she would revise it and then she would do that again and again and again and again again, as many times as necessary until she could put this in front of any person and they would look at it and tell her what was in her head just by looking at her story graphic. So some of the feedback she got on her story graphic was why Alaska and Hawaii? I thought you were talking about the desert in Madison why this little tiny text and i don't know what this graph means down here at the bottom i have no idea what this complex illustration means why are two people pulling a rubber band apart i see something in a cloud i don't quite know what that is and then it goes into a computer and then it comes out in a graph i don't know what volumetric energy density is and i don't know what gravimetric energy density is so taking that feedback she reworked her icons a second time to make it more clear in her head so that she could redo her story graphic. And so from that, she created the top part of this story graphic. And I think this took her about three tries to get to this, three sets of feedback to get to this point. And then for what I do in the lab, that become expanded. And she came up with this on the bottom part. And now you notice between the left side of the screen and the right side of the screen, the biggest difference is... She added some words in there to help guide you through those different parts of her story graphic. When you use these story graphics and create these story graphics, you can put them to work for you. And so here you can see she's put it in the center of a poster. And that means all those audience members that Holly was talking about at the beginning can now come up to Sing You and converse with her. It doesn't matter if you're an administrator. doesn't matter if you're a peer. It doesn't matter if you're a policymaker. Anyone can come up and talk to Sing You about her work and understand exactly what she's doing because she has the story graphic on her poster. And then if you're a collaborator or a peer and you want to go into more depth, she can take you to one side of the poster and talk about that more in depth. Here's where the parts of the story template come in. You can see her current world is right there on her story graphic. And then the problem that she's trying to attack. Her addressing that problem is using the chemistry. And then her specific question is right there, which chemicals are best? And then the steps that she took. And then the outcome with the final results is right there. Earlier I said this can work for anybody. So here's one by Odalis, another student and Odalis was a new graduate student, her in her first year. She had no data and she was just starting her project. So what she did was she took all of the knowledge in her lab and created a story graphic out of that knowledge. And then she entered right into the picture here and she's going to go from this step to this step and try to make figure out what's going on with collagen 4 and then figure out how to make that into something useful. For a better world, but this allowed her to give a poster, not having any data right here. She could tell people what she was doing. This was a very complex poster, and if you look at this poster, this is actually a very good poster because this is done by um, Alex and Alex had gone through the course and this is the poster that he gave back after going through the course, and so this was his um, modified poster after learning how to use the story form method. However, what he did was he gave this to his peers in the course and they gave him more feedback. And so he took that feedback and he revised it even more, even though everybody thought this was a wonderful poster. And he made it into a straight story graphic all by itself. So he decided he did not need all those words. He decided he could set this entire research poster up as a single story graphic, and then you use that at a symposium. And as shown before, there's Alex, right? He's the main character who's going to guide us through this. Here's the problem he's going to attack. Here's his addressing that problem. There's his specific question, the steps that he's going to take, and then his final action, and then his final result is down at the bottom. The other thing about Alex's poster that I want to iterate to you is that anyone can understand this complex poster, right? All of those people, including his peers, can understand everything that's going on in his research. Also, when posters end up here, where they always end up in the graveyard, anyone walking down this hallway seeing alex's poster on the hallway wall is going to understand what research is going on inside that lab because it's so easy to to parse through these story graphics the last thing that holly talked about was what we do with our students was 10 minute talks and this is where we allow them to start showing their data and we allow them to Start presenting like they're giving a talk to a peer. And we bring out the template again and we we divide that template up into slides. And so for a 10 minute talk, there's about one slide per square on the template. For a 50 minute talk, you would just expand out on that. It works great. We use this for research talks all the time, no matter what length they are. And so here I've pulled nine opening title slides from some of our students. I just went through and grabbed some. You can see that they're incredibly visually rich which is something that we teach the students, right? You're trying to engage this audience. Notice that their titles are incredibly simple. So the title they would write on the abstract and submit, those are all science titles. The titles for their posters that they put on the abstract, those are all science titles with all the words on them. But when they go to give that poster or go to give that presentation, they've now made it so anyone can understand what they're gonna talk about. And and even when it's a complex subject, like um, talking about testicles and how they make testosterone, right? Making testosterone are all cells equally capable in a testicle. It doesn't matter what the topic is you're talking about, how complex it is, right? What are stars made out of? And how can we tell what stars are made out of by living on the earth when stars are so far away from us? This process works for any research, And then also, I really want to make that point that Holly made. I want to really get that hard is that question that's up here where she said, when you ask a question of your audience, it opens up that space in their mind and creates that tension, that uncertainty and that suspense that we want. That's exactly what we need them to do to have them engage with our talk. And so when we have these students do this, we have them make one single slide that has their question on it. And they go through that talk and they get to this slide and they pause and they read this question to the audience because this is what's going to guide that audience through that setup, that delivery and to that answer at the end. And you can see that all their questions are very easy to understand. They are not full of jargon and stuff like that. We always tell our students in the beginning, they want to have all that jargon. We always tell them, you know, you want that jargon, you can bring that back in another iteration after you've gone through this a few times and most of them never bring back their jargon the last thing i want to talk to you tonight about is visuals for talks so just single illustrations often in science we set up something and we say you know we started here and we had this thing and then when we were done it ended here and look at that it proved my point it was great it was wonderful but we Really need to tell the story, as Holly was saying. In order to do that, we need to show the different steps that happened. So we set this up and we did this. And in in six hours, we already saw this moving. And in 12 hours, it was moving even further. By 18 hours, it had hit this mark. And by 24 hours, it had finally reached the end point that we were looking for. Telling that story is so much more satisfying for an audience than just we started here and ended here. And again, straight off that template, there's the question, there's the individual steps, and there's the final result. All of us who talk about science end up using process slides. And so I want to show you a process slide and then how to convert that over into a story. And so here we have a cell uptake binding assay. And so there's the cells in the Petri dish and then we're going to do something to them and then we're going to do something else to them but we've done many more things to them and I've run out of room on the slide. And so what we do in this situation is we saw, well, we got some white space down below, let's move down there. But then we run out of room again. And so then what do we do? Well, then we move backwards. The minute you start moving backwards on a slide, you've lost your audience. Audiences are smart, they can figure this out, but it's very hard on their cognitive ability to understand when you start going in reverse. And of course we continue to fill up that whole slide with stuff. There's a much better way that I can show you, and it looks like this. And so if you tip your head sideways, you can see it looks just like the letter S. And what this does is it allows your audience to flow through your process, filling up your screen with each individual step in a simplified manner that they can easily grasp. And if you were doing this in a paper or a... Uh, poster, you can just turn this on its side and make a letter S. But again, straight off that storyboard template there, we're going to start with some sort of question, what we're going to do to address that, different steps that we've taken. And then we're going to have some sort of final action. And then we're going to have a final result. And then this next slide that I would show you in the talk would be that final result. Another thing that happens in science is we discover new things, which is great. But the problem is once you discover something, you have to tell other people what it means. And how it, not just how you got it, but where it could go. And so to do that, we need to create a story of the future. And so we do that by thinking about where this could go in a process and it really, really helps with collaboration and finding other partners to help us get through this. So when this micro was adopted or was delivered, was invented, nobody knew for sure what it could be used. And as research has developed, this story has started to become true. And so it's very shelf stable. And so you could use it anywhere in the world. It could be used on humans or agriculture. It can be used with any kind of sample that's liquid. And then it, It would have to be put in an incubator of some kind. And hey, engineering folks, I need collaborators to help me build this electronic manifold. And hey, software developer folks, I need you to collaborate with me to write the software that would read what comes out of this electronic manifold incubator. And that will make for a better world when people can see what's happening in these different samples. Again, the problem is the thing you've just invented or discovered. You're going to ask some sort of question, what can it do in the future? And then the steps you're going to take to get there with your final result. And then this one actually has a better world. Individual illustration, you can use color to tell story. So often what people do is they create an illustration and then they fill it with color. We call that color vomited because you've vomited color all over it. It doesn't help the audience understand what's going on in this illustration or the story that you want to tell. But if we change that and start to use the story form science method and start to use color to tell the story you can see that this one has groupings to it and it it parts and pieces that you might be able to pull apart and so something is happening in a negative manner in the in the nucleus of the cell and that starts in the membrane as a cascade goes through the cytosol and then there's something that's happening to that process that can alter it and then we can get in there and modify that and use it to our advantage And so there's the problem, there's step one, step two, that action, and then that final result that we can use to our advantage. As we do our research, we collect all kinds of data, and then we have to analyze that data, and so this graph here should look very familiar to anyone doing science. This graph is basically an infographic, right? You've taken all these stats, all this information that you've collected, and you've put it into a visualization that's filled with information. What we really need to do that now is talk to other people about it. And I could show other people this graph, but it's, it's an infographic. It's very hard to parse through. So I have a story that I've deduced from this that I've analyzed, and here's my story. So if I let you read that text and think about that infographic up there, you can pair the two together, but it takes a lot of cognitive work to try to figure out where those words go on that infographic. All right? if I leave that text there and I change that infographic into a story graphic, again, same data, but I'm gonna change it into a story graphic. And then I say that story at the bottom down there and you read those words, It's now much easier to figure out where those words go on that story graphic. And so, yes, it's very necessary, but when we wanna communicate that, we need to turn it into a story so that people can understand the verbal story visually when we tell it. So we've talked about the storyboard template, we've talked about the icons that we create, and we've talked about the storyboard, or the rubric that we give. So anyone can understand your research when you're using the story form method. If you go to storyformscience.com, you can see that we do workshops and we do courses. And the courses are very short, right? They're four, six or eight weeks, and they're only three hours a week. And we already have the summer course coming up for next summer. We teach this every summer. And we might even have a spring course coming up.